Hello again, everyone. Um, if I can have four years old through fourth grade come right up here for a moment for junior church. Four years old through fourth grade right here. Come right up here. Just stay right there. Yep. Come on up. You don't need to sit down. You can stand. You won't be there that long. So climb right up here. Okay. Right. Just wait. Just wait. We're going to wait for everybody. All right. Now you're going to turn and look at the crowd with a nice smile. Do a smile. Look at everybody. That way, back them. And say, Happy Father's Day. Okay, thank you. Now get out of here. All right, come this way, girls. You can go to junior church now. She had to fix her hair while she was going. I don't have that problem. So I don't know, um, um, as I've been getting through the years, I'm enjoying history a bit more and more and, and finding stuff. Um, maybe it's because part of my life is history now. Um, I saw that in the history books, they are now teaching about the 70s and 80s in history books. That's not history. That's current affairs. But, but that was 40 years ago. Wow. So um, I was reading different excerpts of different things of history, and one popped up, and, and I wanted to share this. In his book, Lee, the Last Years, Charles Flood re uh, reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a grand old tree in the front of her house. Now, now you need to understand, when we lived in Kentucky, this is how they, they really marked the, the territory. They told us this. Uh, my property goes to that tree, and then you turn south, and you go to the big rock, and then you'll turn, and they mark things by these. And, and my grandpa, they, they knew which trees grandpa or great-grandpa planted and stuff. And so this lady, she came to Robert E. Lee and said, cried bitterly that the limbs and the trunk had been destroyed by Union artillery fire. She wanted Lee for a word of condemning the North. Look what they did to my big tree here, or at least to sympathizing for her loss. He stood there looking at it for a moment, and he turned to her and he said this, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. When I read that, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, that's very blunt, and that's kind of harsh. But what he was really saying is, Forgive the injustice of the past and allow it to go. Quit holding on to it. Uh, Father's Day is kind of one of those rocky days for about half of the population. It's one of those that well, many people didn't have, didn't have a father in the home. They had a bad father in the home. And so Father's Day is always one that's kind of harsh or negative and I know when I was real young, I hated Father's Day because I didn't have one. I wanted to avoid it. I didn't want to do stuff. And when we made crafts in church, I would get up and leave the room. I'd get in trouble for it, but I didn't want to do it because I didn't have a dad at home. And here's the thing. Many times, we need to learn what this sermon is going to be about. All year we've been studying the life of David, and, and I've tried to present David to you the way the Bible does, as a real man who loved God, but 
often failed God. And in spite of all his sin and failure, David was still a man after God's own heart. And I think that one of the qualities in his life that made him this way was parts of his humility. David's humility is going to be on display today, but as we see something in him, which is a forgiving spirit. This is part of, I'm just going to say, it's sometimes very hard for us to be forgiving to people. How many of you actually find it easy? If somebody does something wrong to you, you're like, yep, I forgive them, it's done and it's over. How many of you do that? Great, and you have to deal with me? It's not an easy thing for us. We just saw that. Most of us would rather sit on a judgment seat when something has been done wrong to us than to offer forgiveness. There's a part of us that wants to watch them squirm in misery while we smile instead of giving them relief. What we must come to grips with is the fact that God is a very merciful God. We like this. We really like that God is merciful when it comes to us. We really do. But we also need to come to understand that because God is a merciful God, He expects us to be a merciful people. I love that He's merciful to me. He gives me mercy, but I don't want to see mercy to other people at times. But if God, my Father, is this way, then all of His children should be. Nothing good ever results from being unforgiving. No matter how much a person nurses a grudge, it never gets better or makes it better. Withholding forgiveness actually has a negative effect on those, on us, rather than the person who has done the wrong. It's destructive and downward in our own lives. We're going to take a look at this event in David's life and see what lessons we can learn about ourselves. And, and fathers, you need to put, pay particular attention to this as we learn to treat those around us. But then the rest of us need to understand that maybe we need to apply this to the father figures in our life. As we noticed last week in our sermon, David is at one of the lowest points in his life. He sinned with Bathsheba and set off a whole negative chain of reaction. Nathan the prophet came and told him, you are the man, your consequences of this, your baby is going to die. And it happened. He said, your wives are going to be violated in public, and it happened. He said, the sword will never leave your house, and that's what happens. Uh, your family will turn against you, he said, and that happens. His son Absalom conspired against him, usurped him on the throne, and King David quickly gathered, gathered, gathered things and ran for his life. And while David's on the run, a number of his friends come to aid. We saw this last week, which was very appreciated. He had this forest of friends that came and gave him shade tree in that. We learned that friends are the sheltering trees, but David's friends were not the only ones who approached him at this low point in his life. And in this desperate moment with crushing guilt on him, a man named Shimeel, uh, Shimei came out of nowhere. How many of you have ever been at one of those low points in your life, something bad's happened, and then they cut you off in traffic? Or that person comes and demands justice for something dumb? They come in and make it worse. Look what happens with Shimei here. As King David came to Baharum, a man came out of the village cursing them. 
it was Shimei, son of Gareth, from the same clan as Saul's family. So Saul's family, that means the one that kept wanting to kill David. And if Saul died, it should have gone into lineage, the throne, but it went to David. He threw stones at the king. You ever had stones thrown at you? I'm not talking about when you played war in the, in the field with your friends. I'm talking somebody really hurling rocks. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Real quick again. What kind of guts does it take to throw rocks at the king and all the warriors around him? What's that tell you about his demeanor? He's mad. He's bitter. He's upset. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son, Absalom. At last you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. He's throwing rocks at David. He's hurling insults, which are digging deeper and causing more bruises than the rocks could. We met several of David's sheltering trees last week, but Shimei is not a sheltering tree. This guy is angry. He's the kind of person who kicks you when you are down. He's the kind of guy that sucker punches you in, in the back. My brother, my middle brother, played um, football, and he said the worst place to play is like, how, how bad is it to get hurt? I mean, you get hit out there. He says, you know where the worst part is? He goes, it's when you dive onto that ball and, and everybody's there. I said, yeah, but you're not hitting anymore. He goes, no, there's a lot of punching going in that huddle there, in that pile. There's, he said he got kneed in the ribs on purpose. There was a guy punching him in the chest, all under there. You're already down on the ground. You're waiting for the whistle, and they're punching you in there. That's what Shemi's doing. Well, David was, uh, this guy comes in and hits him. Well, David's considering his response. So he just had rocks rolled at him, and then he was just accused of all these things. Look what happens. 2 Samuel 16, 9. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Abishai, son of Zeria, demanded, let me go over there and cut off his head. You want a friend like that, don't you? You just had rocks thrown at you. You just had these hurls, insults at you. And your friend, one of your warriors, says, I got you. I'm going to go cut his head off. Now, instantly, you're like, yep, that's my kind of guy. That's the person I want next to me. He wants to get revenge for David. We all want someone like that around us. You don't have to take that. I mean, you got rights. You've got to stand up for yourself. Let me get beside you. You don't let him cut you off. I will cut him off at the knees. That's what he's saying. And honestly, this is a real temptation for us when we've been offended or someone that we love has been offended. Shimei has come at David with a very hard time. He's kicking him when he's down. He's cursed him. He spoke lies against him. Shimei is away, is way out of line, and somebody ought to put him into place. And David's friends offered to do that for him. But look how David responds in verse 10. No, the king said. And the Hebrew, I had to look at it, I can't understand it all, but this is a very emphatic, almost shout. No, the king said, said who asked your opinion, you sons of Zeruiah? 
If the Lord had told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to Abishai and to all of his servants, My own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse. For the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. Okay, let's just be honest. How many of you, when you've been kicked, you've been wronged, you're having a bad day, you act like this when somebody wants to go and punch the person who's hurt you again? Do you sit there and say, whoa, your, your opinion doesn't matter right now? You need to calm down. We need to find out what God's doing. That's what David did. It's the exact opposite of I know what I would say. Because of that, we need to look at what David actually says. His response has very two very important parts to it. We see David recognizes that he doesn't want to be like a big Abishai here. This has nothing to do with Saul's lineage. He sees Abishai here and he goes, I don't want to be like this. One who spouts off at the handle of this dead dog, I'm going to just cut his head off. The sons of Zeruiah uh, were all built with a very short fuse. Do we know people like that? The short fuse people? Usually they're short people too. I was told that dynamite comes in small packages, and that's why all the short people have fuses that are very tiny. This person here and his whole clan, every one of them carried a chip on their shoulder. They were always ready to fight. David's army commander, Joab, was one of the sons of Zeruiah. David did not want to be like that. He doesn't want to fly off the handle. He doesn't want to spew statements with anger. Fathers, do we do that? In our anger, do we spew these comments? These negative, ungodly comments and cause more destruction? David didn't want to do that. The second thing David recognizes was God may be in this situation. Maybe this is happening to him because God is trying to teach him. Maybe God is directing this and I don't want to go up against God is what David's thinking. And then if God is not in it, then God's going to be the one who takes the revenge and fixes this. David steps back and says, I don't want to be the negative one and I don't want to be against God. So I'm going to back up. David acts appropriately. David entrusted himself to God. I think that's something we need to do when it comes to our anger and injustices. Let's skip a few heads to chapter 19. Some time has passed. Absalom's revolt has come to an end, as is his life. And although this is not what David wanted for Absalom's demise, but now he is returning to the throne. As David marched back to Jerusalem, the people turned back to David. They were all hail Absalom. Now David's back. Okay, all hail David. David's back in power, and look who is first to run. 19 verse 16, Shimei, son of Gera, the man from Beruim in Benjamin, hurried across with the men of Judah to welcome King David. He's the one who was throwing stones at him. Now he's welcoming him. 
A thousand other men from the tribe of Benjamin were with him, including Seba, the chief servant of the house of Saul. Wait a minute. Here's a guy who was throwing insults and rocks. Now a thousand people are with him, rushing to David. My first instinct, draw your swords, men. We're going to have a battle. Servants of the house of Saul and Zeba's 15 sons and 20 servants, they rushed down to the Jordan to meet the king. They crossed the shallows of the Jordan to bring the king's household um, across the river, helping him in every way they could. They didn't come to throw insults or rocks. They came to help. As the king was about to cross the river, Shemi fell down before him. My lord, the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Forget the terrible thing your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. I know how much I sinned. That is why I've come here today, the very first person in all of Israel, to greet my Lord, the king. This man who's throwing rocks, throwing insults, is now in the dirt, begging for forgiveness. When he was getting thrown rocks at David backed up and said, I don't want to be like Abishai here. Let him be. But now he's coming back in power. Now, Shimei is either a great actor or he's very sincere. He said one of the hardest phrases, I have sinned. I know how much I have sinned. Do you remember who else made a similar declaration? David said it to Nathan. I have sinned before the Lord. He said that phrase after Nathan confronted him with the sin of adultery and murder. Maybe Shimei's words had rung a bell in David's minds. One of the keys we're going to discuss in a moment is forgiveness comes easier when remember when we remember we've been forgiven. So therefore, we should forgive. Now, after Shimei said this, after what he's done to him, it would have been very easy for David to be indifferent to the confession. Have you ever had somebody who, once you got in power or something, then they're like, well, I'm sorry what I did. Please don't hold it against me. And you're like, yeah, you're just saying that. Clean off your nose. You know what I'm talking about. So David could have done something. He could have been, while he's laying there, said, forget it. You're a servant now. Well, then David's friend Abishai comes up again. Verse 21, Then Abishai, son of Zeria, said, Shimei uh, should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed king. I want to cut off his head the first time. Now that he's repenting, I want to kill him. What a great friend to have, right? I just want to kill all these people around you, David. Have you ever heard the phrase, if the only tool you have is a hammer, you tend to approach every problem as if it were a nail. There are certain tools for certain jobs. Did you know that a screwdriver should not be used as a pry bar or a chisel or a poke it? That's not its design. What happens if you use it as a pry bar? It bends. If you use it as a chisel, it breaks the tip. And yet, what are all the guys out here doing? That's what I do all the time. (laughs) Oh, we're all just dumb guys sometimes, aren't we? 
If we only use a hammer, we approach everything as if it is a nail. Instead, we need to go back to the toolbox of our faith and really look at the situation. Abishai's solution to everything, kill him. Let's get rid of it. Basically, Abishai said he kicked you when you were down, kick him back. Kick him hard. Finish him off. He deserves what he's going to get. Well, thankfully, David at this point is living with his uh, godly nickname, a man after God's own heart. Look at how David again replies. Who asked your opinion? You sons of Zeruiah. Uh, David, I know I say that different each time. I don't know how to say it. We'll just call him Zeru. Uh, David exclaimed, why have you become my adversary? Wait a minute, he's supposed to be his friend, his supporter, and he just called him an adversary. This is not a day for execution, for today I am once again the king of Israel. Then David turned to Shimei, David vowed your life will be spared. This is different than just saying, it's okay, you can move on. He vowed. This means I have forgiven you and you are no longer held responsible or accountable to this forever. Your death against me is gone. David wasn't swayed by Abishai, and so he pointed out again how he did not want to be that way. And with self-control, there's something, fellas. In a situation, he executed it with first self-control. David extended forgiveness to Shimei because David knew who he was. He's the king of Israel, and he does not need to demonstrate that kind of power in this moment. So what can we learn about this forgiveness from David? And again, fathers, think about this as you're treating those who are underneath your authority. And then everybody think about the father figures in our lives. What can we learn from this, David? First, we must learn what forgiveness really is. Dr. Archibald Hart defined forgiveness as this. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you because you hurt me. That means you willingly give up retaliation. You purposely hand over the idea of revenge. Forgiveness is about coming to peace about the past. I've told you many times that I had a biological father. I don't know if I told you what he did before he left. He um, verbally, verbally abused our family pretty bad, especially my mom. He was cheating on my mom like crazy. He chose another woman and her kids over his own biological kids. And he stepped out of our life and didn't care. And I can tell you for 20-some years after that moment, all I wanted to do was punch him in the face. That's all I wanted to do. You hurt my mom, and you hurt me, my brother. When uh, Austin was not even one, we found him out in Vegas, and they flew us out to go meet my biological family. And so I sat down with him, and I'm going to tell you what I said. I couldn't stand you. I hated you. I'm sorry for that. I'm so glad you left my life because I had a better life because you weren't in it. 
uh, forgive you for what you've done. And he told me, he goes, I for years thought I'd open the front door and you or your brother would be there to punch me in the face. I'm like, well, you deserve it. And it's over now. Forgive you. He deserved more punishment. But the only thing that that bitterness and anger was doing was hurting me. He had no clue about it. And you know what? It changed how I was when I finally released it. No matter what we do or how hard we try, the past cannot be changed. There are people who have hurt you. There are some people in here who their past, your pain is horrific, what has been done to you. And I'm so sorry. You can't change it. It's done. No matter how we may have been hurt, violated, betrayed, disrespected, abused, or been abandoned, we have to give up hope that the offending past occurrence will somehow be different and better. We've got to give up wanting to retaliate. We've got to give up wanting to bring them to justice, to the, their needs. We need to forgive. What has happened to us has happened that can never change. Our past can't change, but we can change these things. Listen to this. We can change what we think about it, how we feel about it, and what we do about it as we live in the present and move towards the future. I cannot change things that I have seen happen to me in my life. I can't change that. But I can change how it affects me. Because that's a choice. I can change how I feel about it. I can either feel um, imprisoned by it, or I can choose to unshackle myself and live in the presence of what God has given me and let that go. I can choose to let that control me, or I can say, no, my God is bigger than this, and I can forgive it and walk away from that. The past didn't change, but how I respond to it does. If we dwell on the things in the past, we are keeping our eyes on the negative, on the pain, on the hurt, not on the healer who can bring what we need. We imprison ourselves to that unchangeable past and bind ourselves with heavy chains to emotional and physical scars. And God is just waiting for us to let go. God can help us to let go of the past through forgiveness, regardless if there's been an apology or not. When I told my biological I've forgiven him, he hadn't uttered that phrase, I am sorry. He didn't even bring that up until I did. And just so you know, during this conversation, my wife had her hand on my knee like, that's too far, that's too far. Then. Calm down, keep it down. Remember, you're the Christian. That's what she was really saying all in that squeezing hand. I had to let go of those emotional chains. God can help us let go of the past for forgiveness. And ultimately, faith or forgiveness is an act of faith. Forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another person, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. 
I mean, I can come up with all kinds of ideas to get justice, but by forgiving, I am releasing my right for even um, all of these issues and letting God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and saying, God, I trust you. I have faith in how you will handle this. I leave it in God's hands. The scales of mercy and justice. That is a really hard thing to do, especially if you still see this person. But it's something God wants us to do. Many people in this room have been hurt by fathers or father figures. Abandonments, betrayals, abuses. There are so many times I have heard people say, I don't want to look at God the Father because I have never seen a good dad. There's a lot of truth in that statement. But we shouldn't compare God to sinful people. We need to look at the sinful people and say, yep, they're messed up. This is the perfect example. And I'm sorry, you may have had a bad father figure. I am in the same boat. But I do have a great father God who even on those father... Uh, Father's days, when I hated him, he was right there. My Uncle Jim, at one of the Father's days that was at church, afterwards he came and talked to me. He goes, I know you don't have a good father. He said, Dad. He goes, but remember who your real father is. And he hugged me, and then I went off. Trying to get me to quit looking at the past that cannot change and actually look up. Very similar to what Peter was doing in that water. He's walking on water, he's enjoying all of it, and then the past, the, everything around him is what sucked him into the water. And Jesus is right there, keep your eyes right here. Don't let the past hurt you, don't let that pull you under. This really happened, there was a, a guy adrift in the ocean, and he was clinging on to one of the floats there. And the rescue boat came, and they were trying to get him. Uh, actually, it was a helicopter. And the guy says, you need to let go of that so I can, I can't let go of this. I will drown. No, sir, I'm right here. I've got the harness. Let me put this around you, but you have to let go. And he would not let go. He kept fighting the guy who was trying to save him because he wouldn't let go of the float. Until finally the rescuer had to punch him in the stomach. So he let go, and then he wrapped him up, and then he went up into the boat. Whoa. That's pretty harsh. Let me save you. But why did he have to fight it? Because he was holding on to this thing that he thought was going to save him when the helicopter was right above him. The guy who was coming to save him is right in front of him, treading water with him. Let me help you. And we do this to God all the time. I have this pain. This is what has hurt me. This is what this person did to me. And God is saying, let go of it. I can't. You don't know what it's like. Really look at the scars in my hands. Let go of it. But I can't. You don't know what it's done. Really, I had a whole nation abandon me and betray me for decades and generations. Let go of it. And then you can be lifted up. We need to forgive and remember that. They will keep our eyes, keep our faith on Him. What things can help us learn to forgive? Let me suggest three things. I didn't come up with these. I found these through some 
readings. First of all, it helps to remember how much we have needed forgiveness. How many of you have been forgiven by Jesus? I need to see a little more hands. There we go. Yeah. You've been forgiven. And so when somebody hurts us, we need to put that in our mind first. God forgave me. How many of us deserve forgiveness? Yeah, no, no hands go up. And yet God offered it. We need to remember how much of us, how much of, of how much we have been forgiven, how much we have offended our holy God, and yet we received amazing grace. All of us have offended and hurt others. And when we realize that, don't we want forgiven? Don't we want them to forgive us once we apologize? Look what Paul says, Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as, Christ, uh, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This is how we are to treat each other. Be kind to one another. But what if I don't like them? What if they've hurt my feelings? What if they're just kind of rude? Put that verse back up, please. Instead, you be kind. It doesn't give stipulations on how they treat you. This is our response. Be tender-hearted. Now, that's very hard for some of us. I'm not a tender-hearted person unless they are cute little babies like this one over here. Teenagers, not very tender-hearted. And then forgiving one another. And really, the Greek here, just as God through Christ is forgiving you, is be kind to each other just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's why he's kind. Be tender-hearted just as Christ, uh, God through Christ has forgiven you, has given you tender-hearted, has given tender-heartedness to you. All of it comes from God. That's what that, the, when you break that structure down, it all focuses on just as God has given you. Because we've all been forgiven. Because we've all been kind. God has been kind to us, given us tenderheartedness. Because of that, we should extend the same thing to other people. King David, being what, very well aware of his own shortcomings, was able to be more patient with the wrongdoing of others. The proud, the arrogant, find it very hard to forgive. If you find it hard to forgive someone, it's probably because of pride and arrogance. Usually it's because I would never do that. I would never hurt a person like that. I am better than them. So I cannot offer forgiveness until they reach my status. That's why I didn't want to forgive my biological. It was pride and arrogance. Those who refuse to recognize their own failures struggle to tolerate and understand and forgive the failures of others. I've seen so many dads who are have a bad relationship with their dads. I've heard guys who are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s now say, my dad never once told me he loves me. But I knew it. He smacked me all the time. He never told me. And then when their kids are saying, I just don't know how you feel about it, ah, get over it. We're holding on to that instead of being what God has called us to be. We start into this repeating cycle of wrong fathering. We need to be fully aware of our own failures. I actually did get to see one dad 
He was in his 70s, and he told his sons, I'm sorry I never told you. I'm sorry I was not more of a loving father. And within a week, he died. That's why he finally said it. And one of his sons was, I wish he would have said that years before so we could have had a better relationship. But, but he didn't want to do it because, you know, this is what a man's supposed to be. I, God is forgiving. God is compassionate. God is tender-hearted. God is the Father God. And if he can do it, guys, we need to do it too. We need to be more patient with others. Ladies, how many of the guys in your life are very patient? We have two guys who are patient. You guys won the lottery there, ladies. (laughs) The rest of the ladies are saying, (laughs) we need to be more patient with this. Those who refuse to recognize their own failure struggle for this. We need to be very aware of these things so that we can forgive others. Secondly, it helps to understand where the offender is coming from. This is even more hard at times. It helps to try to see beyond the offense. This is what the person said. This is what the person did. Now look around it and see where they're coming. See what happened to them then that might have caused that. Many times the offender is someone who has been greatly wounded by someone else, which is why they've lashed out at you. Inside that angry person, you've seen these angry people who are just constantly at them. You know what's usually inside that type of an angry person is a scared, hurting little boy or girl who has not yet recovered from their own abusive experience. Then there are other times when someone offends us and they're just having a really bad day. Tony and I were talking earlier and she was trying to say that she had a worse week than I did and we started talking and yeah, probably she did. But I will say this, Tony, you didn't have to wake up and see this face. So my week was worse. Okay. <laughs> Casey had it worse because she had to see this face. Yeah. But we forget. I mean, don't we say that, man? You know, guys, when you're old, here's how you know you're old. When you get with your friends, you start talking about weather and your bad health. Oh, my knee's been acting up. Oh, yeah, my back's been acting up. Yeah, my, my tent. That's our conversations now. I'm, I'm 45, so apparently I'm old now because that's what I've done. We start comparing things instead of looking beyond that. We need to recover from that and start looking around the person who's hurt us. Instead of trying to retaliate or match it, look beyond that and see what it is. Many times it doesn't have anything to do with us. We're just the ones that it got launched on. There are also times when people offend us and they didn't mean to, they didn't intend to offend us, and they didn't even realize it. As Jesus hung on the cross, he was able to keep this in perspective. He looked past our sin. He looked past our person. And look what he said in Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. He looked around the offense. He said, see, they're ignorant. They don't understand. So he offered forgiveness. Putting ourselves in the other person's shoes can help us learn why they're doing this and actually come alongside them 
instead of wanting to kick them like Abishai did. Third, it helps to realize that extending forgiveness is what is best for everyone. If you don't forgive, it hurts you more than anyone else. You just need to know that health studies have proven this. It is said bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping your enemy will die from it. When you have bitterness and hatred towards someone because of how they hurt you, you not giving them forgiveness doesn't help them. Holding on to that bitterness is poisoning you, not them. I've had a, pe- a few arguments pe- uh, with people. Um, this buddy Hackett said this, sorry. I've had a few arguments with people, but I've never carried a grudge. You know why? While you're carrying a grudge, they're out dancing. And what he's saying is, you're carrying this grudge that's weighing you down. They're living their life happily. And so who is it hurting by you holding on to this bitterness? It doesn't help the situation. In the end, we, when we don't forgive others, we are hurting us and we are hurting our relationship with God. Jesus is very serious about forgiving others. Look what he says in Matthew 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I thought that's what the cross was for. He forgave my sins. But it's an act of faith. If I choose, after I have become a Christian, here's what he's saying. After I become a Christian and then I choose not to forgive somebody, that means I don't believe in the cross. If I choose to hold bitterness towards somebody, that means I don't believe in who Jesus truly is. And therefore, my sins are not forgiven. I can go to church every Sunday, but it doesn't mean anything if I don't have the right relationship with God and extend that to my relationships with all everyone else. This verse, this verse right here should be enough to convince us to forgive others. You want to, for, you want to be forgiven from God? Then let go of anything anyone has ever done. I want my sins forgiven. And it may sound selfish, but I want to go to heaven, so I better forgive everybody. I want to go to heaven. Don't you? So forgive. God will not forgive you if you choose to not forgive others. Forgiveness is so necessary for those who give it, more necessary than those who receive it. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. It releases the heartache, the headache, the the load of guilt, and it brings an incredible feeling of cleansing and relief. When when I did tell my biological that I forgave him, I could actually look at him and think of him without that inside anger turmoiling in me. Near the end of uh, Irving Stone's powerful novel, Love is Eternal, about Mary Todd and Abraham Lincoln, there's a moving conversation between Mrs. Lincoln and the president's bodyguard, uh, Parker. She said this, why were you not at the door to keep the assassin out? She demanded in her bitterness with tears, she said this, with her head bowed, Parker replied, I have bitterly repented of it, but I do not believe that anyone would try to kill such a good man in a public place. This belief made me careless. I was attracted by the play and did not see the assassin as he entered the box. Mrs. Lincoln said this, You should have seen him. 
You had no business being careless with that. She fell back on her pillow, covered her face with her hands, and with deep emotion said, Go now. It is not you. Um, it is not you I can't forgive. It's the assassin. So she was taking all of her anger at the situation, placed it on Parker, but then she acknowledged it's really the assassin. Then Tad, her son, who had spent the miserable night beneath her his father's death said to his mother, if Pa had lived, he would have forgiven the man who shot him. Pa forgave everybody. And then his mom wept even more. Can you imagine that? This boy who just lived through knowing his dad was murdered, hearing his mom say it's the assassin who deserves it, and then to hear this boy say, Dad would forgive him. God, our Pa, our, our Father God, our Heavenly Father, is a forgiving Father. And, and I want to be like Him. Don't you? Guys, when you are dealing with your family, when you're being in that fatherly role, it is so hard sometimes to remember the life lessons, the scriptural mandates, because we get in front of ourselves and we need to stop back up and remember what God would do. William Arthur Ward, in his book, Thoughts of a Christian Optimist, he wrote this, We are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. We are most like God when we forgive. We need to forgive. There are some here who need to offer forgiveness. There are some who need to offer forgiveness to other people, even in this room. There are some who need to offer forgiveness to somebody who isn't even alive anymore. But you need to give forgiveness. If you have faith, if you have Christ in your life, you have to forgive. It's part of that faith. Even if that person has never apologized, that's not the scripture. We're talking to you. You need to offer forgiveness. At the very least, forgive them because God has forgiven you. That should be enough. Will you do it? And then, fathers, will you look at the lesson we just saw in David and maybe go apologize when you failed? And ask for that forgiveness so that you can show a better way to point your family to God. There are some that need to ask for forgiveness. Some that need to offer it. Which will you choose? We're going to come to a time where we always have an invitation. Um, but as before he starts playing, I, I wanted to show you something. Um, first, if you need to pray, if you need to talk about giving forgiveness to someone... Please come talk to us. I'm not somebody who's mastered it. I'm somebody who's learning it. But we can go to the one who did master it on the cross and come to him together. This past week, though, I wanted to show you this. A picture is going to be on the screen. A new friend of mine asked God to forgive him. Gary Edgar came up to Lake James and was baptized into Christ this last Wednesday. And... It was hot. It was so hot. And he came up because he, he wanted to do it a little more natural.
natural way, which was in the river or lake. And I said, I'm going to be at the camp. And Sherry uh, said, let's go up there. Great. So we met at the beach, took him into the water. And I'm not kidding. You can see what he said. Thank you, Jesus. He came up out of the water and he said, thank you, Jesus. And he also said this. He goes, I see baptism. When I was in the Marines, we had to take an oath. And baptism, I see, is kind of like an oath that I'm giving my life to God. And I was like, man, you need to preach. Because that is awesome. And so my new friend Gary is now my new brother and your new brother. And we're going to celebrate that. So I want you to make sure you go see him. He's right over there by his brother. Um, right there raising his hand. If you don't, can't find him, just yell for Elvis, right? And he'll come. Uh-huh. So, you don't have to ask about that. But we're going to stand and we're going to pray. God, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you that through him you have given us forgiveness. And God, right now I ask that you would bless all the fathers in this room, that you would extend in them and through them grace and mercy that they can let go of past hurts that have happened to them and then teach their families how to do the same thing. God, I ask that you would help all of us to look at our own earthly fathers, father figures, and then not pull you down to their level, but to, through you, offer forgiveness to them as well, where it's needed. God, help this day not to be one of mourning, of wishing that something could be different, or the pain of what it should have been. But instead, we can look and thank you for being such a good, good father. Guide us this week. Help us to make decisions of, of grace and mercy, all in your name. And this we pray. Amen.